Uh, I hope your summer's been going well. Um, uh, how did you enjoy the nice weather last night? It was pretty good. We, we ate out on the deck uh, like we'd done in July we, we, earlier this week, right? We had a little rain. That was good. Not sure the farmers thought the timing was the best, but um, it, was, it was a nice night last night. I was saying to my wife, Lorinda, I said, man, I sure hope we get a few more of these. Uh, this, was, this was really nice because there's a couple of things this summer I haven't got to do yet which uh, sometimes happens. We had a busy time with my uh, boys. Uh, one of my boys got married, my youngest boy, Brayson, to Cassie. So we're kind of busy with that, right? So things like other things that we like to do, like motorbiking, I haven't even fired my bike up yet. It's the 27th of August, but there's still time. We're continuing our series on God and the underdogs. Today we're going to look at Joseph and his life. Um, in the book of Genesis, right, we kind of go along with Abram, Isaac, Jacob, then we got these 12 kids, Joseph, and then we go to Egypt, and we get Moses. Okay, so we're, we're in the Jacob and the Joseph stage, but it's eight chapters. So I'm glad you're not made, you didn't make plans for lunch, because we're going to have to uh, hustle to get through all this stuff. Joseph. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. I'm going to, we're going to have quite a few slides by way of uh, getting pictures of the story and pulling out a few points along the way as we look at the life of Joseph. Often when we think about Joseph, what do we think of? We think of coat of many colors. We think, uh, man, he was put in prison and, uh, because of the thing that happened with Potiphar's wife. And we think about, uh, oh, then uh, he was able to move into Pharaoh's kingdom kind of idea, and he became a, a, a senator there, what, what, kind of he became the head of every part of Egypt and was able to save the nation, the country, including the Israelites from famine, and then his brothers, he came to face his brothers and re- renewed that relationship. There's lots of little pieces that come to our mind right away, so let's start with This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, just keep that in mind, 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Belhah and the sons of Zelpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report of them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, in his 90s, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. What what was going on here? It seems that our buddy Joseph, he had a pretty good start in that his dad really liked him. He loved him, but his brothers didn't like him. In fact, they hated him. Now, what was going on? It doesn't say that... um, Jacob didn't love his other sons. It said that he loved his, he loved Joseph more than he loved them. N- not sure what that's all about, why that happened. Um, maybe Jacob, you know, as he was doing his thing, kind of trying to make life work as a young married man, he was busy working and he didn't have as much time for his sons. And maybe there was some stuff missed along the way, and when he was older, he had more time, and so Joseph felt a little bit more loved. It could be. There's also this thing going on with these two wives. 
Belha and Zelpha. Belha is Rachel's maidservant, was, and Zelpha was Leah's maidservant. And in the journey of that, Leah, the older sister to Rachel, has a, has a number of sons, four of them. Then uh, Rachel isn't able to have any children for a while, so she gives her maidservant. The maidservant then gives Jacob some sons. And then um, uh, uh, Leah's a little disappointed about that, so she gives her maidservant, and she, that maidservant, gives, her some, gives him some more sons. And then Joseph and Benjamin are born. All right, so okay, okay, can you imagine some of the talk there? Like it's, It appears in the scriptures that Leah and Rachel didn't always like each other. And if you're growing up in that home, that might have filtered down to you a little bit. So you're considerably older than this little boy who's much younger. And there's been this tension. And because of that tension, you carry some of that. And sometimes it spills over. Now, Joseph knew he was, he knew he was loved. Okay, Dad gives him a coat. Dad's maybe a little older. Do you know that sometimes happens in families? Do you know sometimes, um, sometimes the older siblings will look down at the younger sibling and think, how come you get away with all that stuff? You know, I know that was, that's true for me. I, I think my older siblings, my oldest brother was 23 years older than me. There was uh, a brother, a sister, a brother, a brother, seven-year gap, a brother, a seven-year gap, my two sisters and me. It's like there's three families. So when they look at me and think about what I all got to do and what I all had, they, they could consider that I was perhaps spoiled. But what does spoiled mean? Here's a little definition. A person, especially a child, harmed in character by being treated too lenient or indulgent. Spoiled. I don't think Joseph was spoiled. I think his dad had more means, his dad had more time, his dad had greater understanding of what it meant to be a loving parent. It would appear that those things were true because Joseph didn't grow up to be spoiled. He grew up to have a respect and an understanding. He was grateful and respectful. He walked in the truth of what it meant for him to know his own self-worth. Don't think he was spoiled. Now, however, if a parent doesn't help a child to understand responsibility, that every time they get cut from a team, they blame the coach, different than helping the child understand, well, actually, those guys are a little better than you, and you maybe need to kind of jack it up a little bit and push more iron and eat your Wheaties a little more, because you're not quite as good. If, If it's always the other and always blaming the other, it could be easy for a child to then sit in the place of, actually, I'm better than everybody, and the real problem in my life is that everybody else is the problem, not me, not my reality. That wasn't true for Joseph. There's a heavy tension between the boys, and they didn't have the strength to be able to manage that well, it would appear. Joseph has some dreams. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. When he had told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? 
will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you to the, to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, he had two dreams. Second dream was that the sun and the moon, including his brothers, all bound down to him. Sun and moon meaning his mom and dad. And so he, he, he expresses that. Now, think about this. This is a 17-year-old kid. And he's got some brothers, you know, they kind of got their stuff together and like all older brothers, you, you kind of want your older brother to kind of like you. And you got this dream. Now you think it's kind of cool. And you share it with your brothers. You, you have a pretty good idea what it means. You share it with them, not in hopes to be disrespectful or unkind, but rather, hey boys, hey, what do you think of my dream? But because of this tension and this dynamic going on, they, the brothers, were unable to walk alongside Joseph and help him with the truth of the dream and try to work this through in such a way, help him try to understand it. They were unable to manage the hurts and disappointments in their life so that they could continue to remind each other in their family that they love each other, that the main thing is we're family, and we have things that happen in our world and in our lives that are hard, but we won't allow those hurts and disappointments to divide us as family members. They weren't able to do that. What about in our families? Are we able to walk through and process difficult things? Are we able to uh, agree to disagree? Able to continue to move towards this place of, I'm sorry I hurt you, I didn't mean to but I disagree with you or I do hear you and I can move towards you. I didn't mean to hurt you. I can try to change that. But above all, I, I do not want you to think that I don't love you and that I'm not for you. How have you and I worked through those things? It was difficult for Joseph's brothers. Okay, we move on. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's coming. His dad sends him to go check on the brothers. 17. So he can't find them, checks in a couple places. And as he's coming, the brothers see him come, and they say, here comes the dreamer. Here, here comes that guy. Here, here comes our little brother that we don't like. In fact, we hate him. Let's kill him. And Reuben steps in. The oldest brother says, no, 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 let's don't, let's don't kill him. Let's just uh, throw him in this empty cistern here. Because the scripture says he had hoped to come back and to rescue him. They, they strip him of his robe. They throw him into the cistern. And while they're sitting around and eating, they see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. And they talk about perhaps selling him. Here's the next scripture. Judah says to his brothers, will we, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh, uh, flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So they sell him. And as you know, the story goes, they take uh, the uh, 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 coat of many colors, the ornate garment. They tear it. They uh, kill uh, an, an animal and they uh, put blood all over it. They bring it back to his father. His father looks at it. And he says, yes, it's true. This is his jacket. This is his coat I gave him. He must have been killed by an animal. The brother's hurt 
their anger and their disappointments, their unforgiveness and their resentment. Because of those things, they were unable to see their, their brother in the light of who he truly was. One of their little brothers that God loved and had great plans for him. Their hurt hijacked their ability to see all of what they had, who they were, that they were, that God loved them, that God had good plans for them. Their hurt hijacked the truth of who they were and what God had for them and their ability to rest in the truth of who God had made them and that he was with them. So then Joseph is sold to Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of, this, of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Despite the circumstances, God still has his hand on Joseph. He still has good plans for Joseph. He still has good plans for you and I. And he prospers Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come, come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. He told her, no one is greater in this household than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with Where did he learn this integrity and character to do what was right? Where, where, where did he have that inside of him? Well, maybe, maybe in his upbringing when he knew the love and the delight of his father and his mother and the hatred of his brothers and when he was wrongfully treated because he did what was right, which was come and give a report about what his brothers weren't doing well so that they could be called into account and, and uh, encouraged to move forward. Maybe that's one place where he learned, it's more important for me to do right than to take advantage of an opportunity that isn't doing the right thing. He had already decided what was the right thing to do, so when the opportunity came for him to be tempted... He already knew what he would do and how he would act. Joseph is wrongly accused. So, so the house is cleared one day. Somehow nobody's around. Probably Potiphar's wife had organized that. And at that time, he says, now, she says, now it's time. Come to bed with me. She grabs a hold of him. He runs away and leaves his cloak. Okay, She keeps it, and here's what happens. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. 
When the master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Yeah, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do or been treated unfairly? Maybe, maybe you've pulled your weight at work. Uh, you've done what you, to, you could to do the extra mile, but somewhere along the line you get accused of not being a team player. Your best intentions were misunderstood. Whether it's at our job, whether it's in friendships, in relationships with our family, sometimes you and I bump into somebody who needs to prove the point, needs to prove our point, that they're right, that they're better, that you need to do what they need you to do in order for them to be okay. This happened to Joseph. But while Joseph was there in the prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He gets thrown into prison. Wrongfully accused. And while he's there in prison, right, the the warden sees that God has his hand on him, and he doesn't worry about the things that he's put Joseph in charge of. Then while he's there, the cupbearer to the king and the baker, who have both been thrown into prison because Pharaoh had a bad hair day, And um, while they're there, uh, they have some dreams. And Joseph, he interprets those dreams for them. Um, Here's what one of them means, the cupbearers. This is what it means, Joseph says to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, your head, lift up your head, and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, so what a cupbearer does, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Out of here. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. All right, so um, that's, that's the cupbearer. The baker also has a dream. Uh, his isn't quite so positive. He's got uh, bread on the top of his head in baskets, and some animals come and eat that, and uh, it doesn't go well for him. And he interprets for him as well and says, uh, actually, yours isn't a good ending. Your life will be taken. Pharaoh has his birthday. At his birthday, he restores the cupbearer and uh, takes the baker's life. Okay, so now the, the uh, cupbearer, he's kind of uh, relaxing, enjoying uh, being back in the right place uh, where he um, had been before and uh, enjoying good life there, but he forgets. In fact, it says it was two years past, and then Pharaoh had some dreams. Here's the dreams that Pharaoh had. No one in the court could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Then the cupbearer remembers, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy in the jail who can. I will call him to come. 
I remember him. I'll have him come and interpret. So he comes. Here's, here's the reply that Joseph gives. Actually, I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what, is about, what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravish the land. Okay, seven years abundance. We'll have so much we won't even be able to keep count of it and then it will be ravished. Um, When uh, Joseph went into Pharaoh's court to work, he was 30 years old. And uh, then for the next seven years, he um, made sure there was the opportunity for people to bring uh, their grain. And in all the cities, they collected all the grain so much they were not even able to continue to measure it. He was faithful in the prison. He was faithful in Pharaoh's court. Your faithfulness and my faithfulness cannot not be seen. Wherever you work, whatever organization you're in, sometimes people won't see it. You may not get the credit. But the truth of who you are eventually bubbles up. Eventually people see it, and it raises to the top. Some of you might be in tough situations. You're in a work situation where some of the people that show up, their goal is to make sure they do as the little as possible at work, rather than jumping in and doing all what they can. You show up seeking to do the very best you can, to always bring your best every day. And sometimes that isn't seen. Even when it's not recognized, you continue to show up. That's pretty disappointing. Eventually it will be shown. And if it's never recognized in the time that you work there, you know before God, you have, you've done your very best. Because you know, the Lord knows you, He's gifted you, He's called you, and He's invited you to lay down your life. You play for an audience of one. You're on an adventure in life. Not to do as little as possible, but you understand that God has created you for good works from the beginning of time. And he just invites you to be a part of the adventure and the journey. Okay, then we go. Famine happens. We're two years into the seven years. We've got seven years of good and two years into the famine. It's uh, Joseph, sorry, Jacob and his family, they're getting pretty hungry. And so Jacob sends 10 of his sons, not Benjamin, and of course he believes Joseph to be dead. He sends them to Egypt to go to the Pharaoh to get some food so that they'll be able to continue to live. Okay? So here we go. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they've come. They did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, You're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. They said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his own life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come to us. 
Reuben says. Didn't I tell you guys? Didn't I tell you not to sin against this boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now he must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since they, he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and he began to weep. That's Joseph. But then he came back and he spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Okay? So, so listen, you're, you're not coming. You've got to go back, he says. Get Benjamin and bring him back here. Okay? Then he says, you know what the guarantee is going to be? I'm going to keep Simeon. Then he sends them off, and when he sends them off, he puts all their payment of silver back into their bags. When they discover it the next morning, man, they, they go, oh my goodness. Fear gripped them. This isn't good for us. We don't know what's happened here, but this isn't good. Okay, time goes on. Reuben, at one point, says to Jacob, hey, let me take Benjamin and go. In fact, if I don't come back, you can kill my sons. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob can't hear that. Time goes on a little bit more. Okay, then, then it starts to get, they start to get hungry. Uh, there's more time. They're starting to, to starve. Uh, and Judah says to his dad, send the boy with me. I will guarantee that he'll come back. At that point, they're getting hungry, and Jacob begins to see the truth of what's happening, and if this doesn't change, we're going to starve. And so he sends them. He sends Benjamin along. He's compelled to step past his fear of losing his son, Benjamin, the fear of losing him because he's already been traumatized by the loss of Joseph. But if he doesn't send Benjamin and risk that, he's going to lose, he's going to lose all of his family, and so he takes the risk. Sometimes the hurts we have and the fears we have and the pain we have and the trauma we've experienced causes us not to walk in the freedom that God invites us to. It actually defines us. The Lord invites us to deal with our pain. He invites us to be healed, to know who we are, to rest in the truth of his provision so that we can continue to walk in who we are, not to manage the truth of our pain and let our pain define us. He lets them go. Okay? Joseph sets a trap. He, they come, gives them food, sends them back, but he takes his special cup and he puts it in Benny's sack. They get outside of town, a few, a little distance. Joseph sends his servants and they catch him. They all come back. He set a trap for them. Now, Joseph is continuing to check their hearts. Have they changed? Here's Judah's plea for mercy. What can we say, Lord? Judah replied, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing as make you my slaves. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. He pushes the button. Then Judah went up to him and said, so now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound with, my, with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't here, he will die. 
Now please, then please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Hmm. Joseph, Joseph hears him. Judah is helpless. He is at the mercy of this man. Just like Joseph was at the mercy of his brothers. And no matter how he, much he pled, they would not listen to Joseph and they cast him out. Now Judah is in the same place. And Joseph hears Judah, Judah say, Please don't let me do this again to my dad. I am so sorry. Please be merciful. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence, all the Egyptians, so that there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They think he's died. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. And now do not distress and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great, great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me, but God. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all of his brothers, and he wept over them after his brothers talked with him. <laughs> yeah, it's over 20 years since his brothers had sent him into slavery. It's a long time. He had long time to process. He had long time to get resentful, to sit in unforgiveness. He had long time to look at the loss and be, he was deeply grieved by the truth. I may never, ever see my family again. How was he able to do that? May I suggest that he never forgot the fact that he was loved, that he was acceptable, that he was valuable, he knew God still loved him and had a plan for him. He also was able to somehow take a step back and evaluate what had happened and why his brothers were unable to love him was because of their own insecurities, their own fears. He also could look at his brothers and see that they lived from a place of bitterness and hatred and he didn't want to live from that place. In that journey of over 20 years, he continued to process in such a way that when it came to the end, he could see they intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Yeah, let's bring this back to you and I. How have you and I gone about in our lives managing disappointments and hurt? 
rejection, pain, how we process it in such a way that it hasn't become our identity, but it's part of our story, it's part of our history. How have we kind of moved along to process and bring healing so that we can continue to stand in the place of God's love for us, his plan for us, that we were more than what happened to us. We are more than what a person or people think about us. We are named by the Father, and he has good plans for us. Your name is not the rejection of people. Your name is who he's called you to be. How have you and I processed those things so that in our life we can sit in that place? That even though these things are true, and even though we walk the journey of healing, we can stand in this place so that we can know that God is good. It's a good question. When do you think about that today? And as I land the plane this morning, yeah, my mom, she was a lovely woman. She was a go-getter. She was a worker. And not too many people could outwork her. She had a fear of God, and she was afraid of God. She worked really hard to serve the Lord and serve others. When I was 12, my mom was fired from her job in our little town. And that was really, really hard on her. In fact, she died when I was 27. And she never went downtown in our small town into the grocery store or the post office for the rest of her life. Shame had such power over her. I I wish she would have lived longer because I would have introduced her to Starbucks because she likes strong coffee. I also would have loved to have processed this reality with her, to help her process the hurt, the rejection, to help her understand shame and release herself from shame because her name isn't who she isn't, what she hasn't done well. Her name is who she is, who God's named her to be. So she could have walked in greater freedom. I would have loved to have more time for that. Before my mom died, she wrote a letter to the lady who had fired her, who lived across the street, Kitty Corner, to us. Christian, they're all, these are all Christians. That lady wrote back to her, and they, um, they forgave each other before they died. That's a redemptive story. But I got to think God would have liked for that to have happened 15 years before the letter. I've tried to process hurt and pain and rejection and manage shame along the way, rest in the Father's love, rest in the identity that I have in the Father, but I'm still on the journey. Yeah. But the Lord doesn't want you and I to be trapped back there. He wants us to process them and walk in freedom. That's the invitation today because he invites you to a journey He invites you to an adventure. He wants you to know your name, not let things name you. He wants you and I to continue to know what it means to know his love and walk in a childlike way. Yeah, that you and I would walk in greater freedom and sometimes we would continue to be a little silly and crazy. 
because he's not done with you and I yet. We would step out in faith in ways that we haven't before. Okay? Here's the final thing. Joseph's story is a type or a shadow of the picture of Jesus. They intended to kill him out of evil. But his death and resurrection was for our good. I don't know what's happening in your life. There may be some very hard things. I'm not suggesting that God allows them because he doesn't like you. But the truth is, he is enough. He would like those things not to have happened, but he also can walk in such a way that he can bring good out of it. Don't let hurt and pain define you. Process it. Let Jesus define you. As the uh, worship team comes, process those things. Think those things through. If you're stuck, he wants to set you free to walk in freedom. If you have hurt, uh, pain, and disappointment that's um, making it difficult for you to rest in the truth of God's goodness, but first, we don't belittle that. You, you need to process that. But we don't want it to define you. We don't want it to shackle you. Because it's not your name. It's part of what's happened to you. And it's not what God intends for you. He has good plans for you. We're going to invite you to come if you'd like. There's be people at the front. You can come and uh, share with them, and they'd love to pray with you. Um, you can also pray with somebody uh, beside you, right? You can also just in your own hearts and minds, right? We just want to give you that invitation. You certainly come forward to the prayer people here if you have something else that's happening in your life and you'd like prayer for it as well. Okay, you, you, you want your generation, you want your family to not drag along stuff that God wants you to release. He wants your family line to not carry stuff. He's invited us to release some of those things, to process them well. We love our families. Yeah. If you're hanging on to some of that stuff, he wants you to have a different generational line and he invites it to that. That's why he came, to redeem relationships. Yeah, let me pray with us, with you, and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, that you're all-knowing and you know us. We thank you that you are the one that names us. In you we have identity and you've gifted us. You've, you've created good plans for us from the beginning of time. Lord, help us not to allow rejection and hurt and pain and disappointment to hijack your goodness, that we're your children, that you continue to have good plans. Those things that people intended at times for evil, that you would cause them to create good in our lives, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we just, we just sit before you, ask that you would help us to rest in you, process well, and continue to walk in the truth of what it means, means to be your sons and daughters in freedom, yeah, with joy. Um, even though we've got a history, Lord, we are more than our history. We're more than our story, and you desire to redeem our story. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for Joseph's life. Jesus, thank you for your life and what you taught us. Lord, so now bless us in this day. Thank you for your blessings. And as we go, uh, Lord, we 
we thank thankful for what you've done for us. Amen. Bless you. See you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.